O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. That's the last three verses of Psalm 97, which is one of the two psalms we have given for today, Wednesday, April the 7th. It's good to be with you today. It's, um, it's been an interesting few weeks for us, and so we appreciate your prayers for us as we walk this journey together. So today we're, we're continuing in Easter week, which is a celebration of the resurrection of the Lord and all the benefits that we get from his resurrection. Um, so we, we're looking today at, at the uh, Old Testament lesson, which is Micah 7, 7 to 15. It begins with, But as for me, I'll look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord, for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah is living under some duress, <laughs> you might say. And people are, are looking at him and saying, well, you, you've been wrong. You're not, um, the things that you've said are not coming to pass. And so what you believe maybe is foolish and maybe it's folly. And so he says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I'll bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes justice for me, he'll bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? It's sometimes a very difficult thing to walk a life of faith and to believe something that seems not to be believable when it goes against what seem to be the facts on the ground at least the interpretation of facts on the ground. And so that's a difficult thing to be in that place where, where the interpretation of everybody else is different from your faith. When you believe God's told you something and there's no visible reason to believe it. I can remember probably, oh man, a long time ago now, maybe 20 years ago, something like that. A um, little less than that, but just a little. Um, a friend uh, of mine, I got a call on my birthday, and I had just come back from our staff Christmas party at the church in Pauley's Island where we were serving, and I got a call, and, and somebody told me that a guy had had uh, an abdominal aneurysm blow up, and he was in the hospital in Georgetown, South Carolina, and I said, what do you think I should do? And he said, I think you ought to put on your collar and get down here. So I did. I didn't know the man who this had happened to, but I did know his family quite well. I knew his wife and his daughters, and I don't know why I didn't know him, to be honest with you, but I didn't, had never met him. And so I went down, and the first thing that happened when I walked into the um, hospital was I saw his surgeon, and his surgeon happened to be a friend of mine. And so he told me, John, I wish I had known you were here. I would have gotten you gowned up and got you back there so I could show you how hopeless this is. There's no hope. He's not going to live. He gave me all the reasons why and the statistics that would prove that to be the, the case. And it, it made perfect sense. So what we did was that spent I spent most of the night that night, got up the next morning, and we brought in all the financial professionals that, um, that knew about the investments and everything else that he had, the banking people and all that. And so the, um, the, we got everything taken care of so that the wife had access to everything, and, and he lived that day. And, and so we continued to to just say, okay, here's where we are, here's where we are, here's where we are, here's where we are. And and the surgeon, who's a wonderful guy, 
told me multiple times I wasn't really doing my job, that I wasn't preparing the family for his death because he was going to die. There was no chance he was going to live. Well, three months later, after all that time in intensive care and in a coma the entire time, I went into intensive care one morning and I was standing at the nurse's station talking to the nurses because I'd been there every day and so I knew all the nurses in the unit and uh, it was directly across from his room and I heard a voice that was unfamiliar to me say, why, John Green's here. And I thought, well, I don't know who that is, but I'll finish speaking to the nurses and I'll go in there. Well, it was him. His name was John also and, and John was in the bed and he knew my voice from me being in that room and talking to people and praying. We had never met. He couldn't possibly have known what my voice sounded like except for that. And so um, I saw a miracle there and against hope that whole time. It's so much so that, that uh, there was another operation that John wanted done to reverse something that had been done during, the, uh, during his convalescence or during his coma days, let's call it. And the surgeon said, I I've used up all my lives on you. I can't do that. I'm going to have to get somebody else to do it. And so he did. And, and that went well as well. And so he didn't think he ought to even have that done, but he did. And so I've seen miracles. I've seen incredible things happen. And I've seen it when you believe against um, facts on the ground that sometimes God does amazing things. And I just knew that particular time that God was going to do something. I felt like I'd heard him promise me that. It was a long, long journey. But um, but it was a time when I learned something about believing what God says to you and trusting in His Word and staying in the Word that you know He's spoken to you about a situation. And, and, and I didn't feel that way, and I don't feel that way all the time, but I did that time. So you just never know. And sometimes you, you look like a fool for a period of time to people around you, and that's perfectly okay. It's not about them. <laughs> it's not even about you. just about Him. And so that's exactly what Micah's saying here today. I have faith because I believe the Lord's spoken to me. I don't care what other people say about the foolishness of my faith. I'm going to stand in what I know, and what I know is what I know that he's spoken to me. And so Jesus, in this gospel lesson today, it, that's exactly what he's talking about, is abiding in him and abiding in his words. And that what that means is standing firm in faith remaining in Him as the source of life, as the source of your faith, the source of your hope. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And so it's indistinguishable, right, vine from branches. I mean, you, you, how, do you, how do you sort of break those two things apart and figure out what's vine and what's branch? It's a difficult thing to even think about trying to do. And so what are, we, um, what, are we, what are we standing in? What are we believing? And, and how, are, how do we abide in him so that, that we're not going to be taken away? We're going to be pruned so that we may bear more fruit because we always need to be pruned because we've always got wild stuff that's not going to bear fruit taking away from our ability to bear fruit. And so that's what he means when he says that he prunes it in order that we can bear more fruit. He says, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. What does it mean to be clean? It, it means to not to be holy. It just means you, you need to be cleansed of sin and unrighteousness. And so Jesus is poured into these men during this period of time. And, and so they should be ready to 
to bear fruit, but he's telling them also that there are going to be times when you're going to have to be pruned because there's going to be stuff in you that's not productive for the kingdom, and so that needs to happen. He says, because you're clean, go ahead and abide in me and I in you. You can't bear any fruit at all unless you abide in me. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can't do anything at all. So one of the things that people object to is the idea in uh, Anglicanism, actually, in our theology, and it, it would be in, it's, so it's in the Articles of Religion, there's 39 of them, and uh, they cover broad topics, but it, it's, it doesn't set Anglicanism apart, but what it says is that, that prior to salvation, there's actually no good works that a person can do, and, and people find that repugnant, that you can't do anything good. Well, it depends on your measure of good. Good is something that's exactly the way it was designed to be and gives glory to God. So people on earth can do a great many good things um, in our eyes and in our estimation and using the definition of good that we would all agree to, but biblically, nothing is good that doesn't testify and bear, give glory to Him. That, that in, unless we, we see anything we do as only good if it comes from him and glorifies him in the end. And so that's the point of that. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. You can do nothing. People do a lot of good things in the world, but Jesus says nothing of value in the sense of nothing that will remain throughout eternity. And so the, the, the things we can do all have to do with doing eternal things, things of eternal value. And he says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, that's a powerful statement that Jesus is making there. He's, he's saying that, that, he, that the love of the Trinity one for another, the love the Father has for the Son in the life of the Trinity is the same as the love with which Jesus has shared with them. He has loved them as though they were part of the Blessed Trinity. There's no diminishment of love between what he would feel for the Father. He has loved them as the Father's love flows through him. It flows into them, and we have this gigantic circle that's unbroken of love, and so that gets returned from him to us, back to the Father, back to the Holy Spirit, and it just continues this cycle of life and says, abide in my love. And then he makes that statement that, that we tend to overlook constantly. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So if you do the things that I tell you to do, you will abide in my love. And the corollary of that would be true also, right? And that's the reason even the branches uh, that do bear fruit have to be pruned, and that is because we don't completely fully abide in those things, and sometimes we get about doing our own things, and so he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And it's just walking in the ways that, that he has said. He said, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So his call to us is a call to experience the love of the Trinity by doing the things the Trinity would have us do. And he says, that I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you, and in, in that your joy may be full. We come now to the um, epistle from today, which is Acts um, 3, 1 to 10. And it's the, the newly formed church, the apostles, the ones that had previously been disciples, um, are now testing their wings, let's say. 
trying to go out into the world, and, and they go out and they go to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, so it's late afternoon, and, and they're going to the temple because they, they're, they don't know what else to do. And so they're going there to, to render thanks and praise to the Father and the Son in this place. And as they go there, it says a lame man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And people could beg and ask alms if they were unable physically or otherwise to work. And so there's nothing wrong with this guy doing that. He's not looked down upon in society or anything like that. Healing, though, the healings Jesus did um, for the blind man and others restored them to wholeness of life, which would include now 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 you can enter into life in every single way. You're no longer um, able or eligible to beg and do those other things because now you're able to to join the life of the community fully in providing for yourself and the life of the community and and for those who still continue to need those alms given to them. And so it's a, it's a joyous fullness of life that's given in that place. And so Peter and John here see this man who's being brought there and he's apparently been brought there for a long time and so he he asked them if he could receive alms and that's a good work. So a a point in their crown for them to do that. They're keeping a commandment there, right? So that's the, the really important thing is is that you've got a chance to do a mitzvot as you enter the, um, the temple there. And so it's a perfect time to do this that you can enter more cleanly um, into the temple, into the worship of God. And so it's an important place for you to be able to do that. And so Peter instead looks at him and, and says, he and John both, and said, look at us. And he, the man, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter says, I have no silver and gold. Well, then why am I looking at you? But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then... Um, he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And Luke, the physician who writes this, um, tells us that immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. So this physician sees something. And what he sees is amazing things, not just standing up tremulously, testing those legs. Nope leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God that's some healing and the man apparently knew it as soon as he got up I mean we would look at that and we think about faith healers today and we think about the movie leap of faith where there were plants well this guy wasn't a plant and we know that because people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms so they're a little bit different than what happens in that John 9 passage of the man born blind where people are saying, is he really the same dude? No, here they said they knew that's exactly who it was and it says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So they saw this remarkable healing of a man that, that had been there begging for alms and suddenly he's not just standing, he's walking and leaping, leaping. You know, I remember a, an NCAA tournament basketball game a few years ago when a guy just took a jump shot, came down, and his leg cracked. 
it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen in my life. It was a compound fracture. It was horrible. And he did that just from leaping. This guy who's been paralyzed and unable to walk until this point in time stands, walks, and leaps all just in this short period of time. God can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And if we abide in him, we know how to ask and we know what to ask. Peter and John did that day. They saw something, knew something, or heard something that led them to know a miracle is about to happen right here.